right, we are back after a short break and what an amazing episode to kick off this series. Today I'm speaking to Dr. Tara Swart, neuroscientist and author of The Source. I already know that I'm going to have to invite Dr. Tara back for a part two because I absolutely loved this conversation and I just could not fit all of my questions into one hour. If you've been listening to this show for a long time, then I'm sure this is going to be right up your street. And if you are a new listener, then I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker and author. Each week I speak to a variety of guests from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, change makers and innovators to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate and inspire. So I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Welcome back to the Power Hour podcast. I'm so excited to be joined today by Dr. Tara Swart. Thank you so much, Tara, for joining us. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me. Well, firstly, I mean, I have to say, I really enjoyed listening to your book on Audible, The Source, Open Your Mind, Change Your Life. I I was actually recommended the book by Rupi Orjula, and he talked about your book on the show when he was on in January. I downloaded it the next day. And honestly, I mean, I'm Audible obsessed. I listen to so many books on Audible. It's the one, I I can't think of a single product or service that I recommend to people more than Audible. It has been a game changer for me. So yeah, I wanted to start off by really diving in there and saying, you know, I loved the book. I'm sure I'm sure it's helped many other people to really understand the, the science behind all of it. So could you, for anyone listening who isn't familiar with you or your work, could you tell us about the concept, about the book and also who you wrote the book for? Mm. Thank you so much. I'm, I'm really glad you enjoyed it so much. I'm, I'm dying to know what speed you listen to books on Audible. I listen in normal speed. <laughs> I, do I might talk I have, fast, but I listen on normal speed. I definitely thought the way that you, you know, your energy, that you're somebody that probably listens like at two or three times the speed, but I was wrong. <laughs> um, okay, so the source is basically about the laws of attraction and manifestation and visualization, but all backed up by neuroscience. It was an idea that I'd had in my mind, and I'm, I'm big on manifestation in my real life. Um, but I wasn't going to do anything with it. It was just, it was an idea. I'd, I'd written two books. I don't enjoy writing ever since I did my PhD. It was quite a traumatic experience. Um, and I'd become the neuroscientist in residence at the Corinthia Hotel, which was a really nice gig. And um, it got a lot of press because it was unusual. And so Penguin Random House had seen that press and approached me. And they said, we've got a lifestyle section with books on exercise, mindfulness, diet, And we think as a neuroscientist that you could write one that kind of brings all of those together. And without even thinking, I said, I could do that, but I have this other idea and it's about visualization and vision boards um, and science. And later the the publisher said to me, I could have got the pen and the contract out right there and then. (laughs) So um, that was really nice. And so I then spent the summer researching the laws of attraction and, you know, these more esoteric things and seeing Mm -hmm if they could be explained by science. And it was like 90% of them, it was just so obvious. And, you know, I'd always thought about manifestation that if it's to do with the power of your thoughts, 
it should be explained by psychology and neuroscience, but it's previously been explained by quantum science and frequencies and vibrations and things. So I was quite excited about it. Um, it was the first time I wrote a book on my own and actually a female mentor of mine who's a, a famous neuroscientist who's written a lot of books. I asked her advice and she said to me, one day you'll wake up and there'll be something that you cannot not write about and wait till then. And this was definitely that book for me. I mean, I poured my heart and soul into it. I wrote it every weekend for the first year of my newly married life um, whilst working full time, which for me includes going to Australia once a year and America four times a year and, and other trips. So it was intense. Um, I was very disciplined. I, was, I went back to that sort of medical student mode of um, writing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And so in my personal experience, I had previously been divorced and used these sorts of tools. I, you know, research Buddhism and Jungian psychology and manifestation. I'd used those tools to really turn my life around. And so in my heart, whilst I was writing, the book was really for all these fabulous, smart, beautiful women that I know who have had one traumatic experience in their life, often to do with a relationship, and kind of never got back to being their best self again. And mm. that's what really motivated me to write the book. But the beautiful thing about, about it since it's come out is that so many guys like it as well. And, mm. you know, I'd, I'd written about my upbringing, kind of the cultural gap being of Indian heritage growing up in the UK. And I sort of thought, you know, if you're a divorced woman or a you know, a woman from a different culture, it would resonate with you. But you know, I remember my friend's brother, um, my friend gave it to her brother, who's like, you know, a very sort of white public school young man. And she said he, he wouldn't talk to me all weekend because he was just obsessed with the book. And, mm. and that's when I think I knew that it had really wide appeal. And so the concepts of using your own brain to make your life better, well, that's got to appeal to everyone, hasn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I was so much of what you said, then I could resonate with, you know, the, definitely the writing experience and having to be really disciplined with my time writing the book. I also wrote a lot over weekends, too. Uh, and also mm. just, you know, thinking about when people want to make a change in their life, you know, whether it is after after a divorce, whether it's after changing career, uh, maybe leaving school, there are different things for different people. But I think it's interesting that, yeah, maybe you had an idea in your mind that those those types of people or those women would would relate. And actually, the, the, the book mm. has reached a lot more people. And, and I found that too with older people enjoying my book uh, not that I didn't think mm. they would but for example I know that yeah a lot of people who've reached out and who've read the book and said you know I'm really ready to embrace change in my life have been yeah later on in their life whether it's post 40s 50s even 60s so yeah I think that's quite an interesting an interesting thing to to uh, explore and understand why do you think that is that people maybe as they older and later on in their life or their careers that they're actually more willing to embrace new ideas new concepts and to make changes yeah I think it's because as you get older because I, I fall into your older category Adrienne um, that you realize that change happens you can't prevent it and so the best way to equip yourself to manage change that comes from outside is to be more open to embracing it and and actually from neuroplasticity, which is the ability of the brain to grow and change throughout life, we understand that if you bring change into your life, you actually build up that resilience to external or unexpected change. So mm. even something like 
learning a new language or learning a musical instrument or, you know, travel abroad, eating food that you've never eaten before. All of those things build up to prepare you better for the changes that life throws at you. Mm. Yeah, and it's such a such an exciting and enriching thing to do as well. You know, I think I think about people that really like repetition and they're creatures of habit, and you know they stick in their box and they stay in their lane or, or whatever you would just how you would describe it. But I do think it's far more exciting and yeah, enriching to to really challenge yourself every every year, every season, mm. whatever. To think, can I learn something new? Can I go somewhere new? Can I meet someone new? You know how how exciting. And actually, you know. Uh, I think a lot as well around the small decisions that we make and the big decisions that we make. And I think often when I, when people ask me for advice or, or, you know, tools and they'll say, they they think it's going to be these big, big decisions, these big moments, whether it's about changing your life. But what I think I'm learning is actually it's the small changes. It's the small daily changes or decisions or habits that compound over time that actually have Mm. the biggest impact. Would you agree? Totally. So, you know, I'm all about, vision boards I actually call them action boards because I'm not one of these people that says you know create this fantasy life and then sit at home and wait for it to happen I very much believe that you have to go out there and do things to make it happen Mm. um so I do have those sort of big picture ideas at the beginning of each year but a real game changer for me was the year that I chose two or three habits per quarter so every three months and I only and they were small things And I only worked on those small things for three months until they were like natural habits. And what I found at the end of that year was that there were 10 to 12 things that I now did without even thinking about it that I wasn't doing a year ago. And I've never had that kind of result with like New Year's resolutions, for example. Mm. Yeah. And I guess if you have maybe it was, yeah, I think having that real focus as well, the, the, to do one thing or to do two things or to do even three things but um yeah really having focus on one small thing at a time I think um yeah it's really mm-hmm. powerful and actually one of my neighbors so I mentioned about people who read the book that I didn't necessarily think would one of my neighbors he's 82 years old he is just such a wonderful he's so wonderful he's quite nosy actually so he loves to come <laughs> can knock on people's doors and have a chat especially during uh, lockdown but he he told me after reading my book he said you know I really enjoyed it and he said I'm I'm open to to change and he said that when he was in his 50s he had a heart attack and he had to have heart surgery and after the surgery the surgeon told him that it's really not going to be good for you to be sedentary you know you need to keep moving you need to keep active and at the time he said he was very sedentary um his life revolved around a lot of driving and a lot of sitting and and the surgeon said you really need to be more active every single day He is now 82, as I said, and he goes for a daily walk twice a day. So every morning and every evening, he goes for a walk. I see him leave his house. I see him come back every single day, rain or shine or snow. And he has done that for 29 years and he's never missed a day. He's never missed a day. And because of that, the surgeon saying to him, you know, the small thing. So for him to do that walk around the block, it probably takes him. I mean, I'm going to guess, I don't know how fast he walks, but it's probably 30 to 40 minutes, but he does it twice a day. Now, He's never run a marathon. He's never hit the gym hard. He's never, you know, bought, you know, said, right, I'm going to change my life and get fit and healthy. But he's never missed that in 29 years. I think it's such mm. a good example of this small compound mm. effect. How healthy, I don't know, how healthy his heart, his blood pressure, you know, he looks like he's, he looks vibrant and he's, you know, he's got, a, uh, he looks like he has a good body composition in terms of his weight. And yeah, just how impactful that small thing every single day. I just use him as, as an example all the time. Totally. I mean, if he's 82 and he's doing two 30 to 40 minute walks a day, I'd say his heart's in pretty good condition. 
Yeah, absolutely. So but I also want to loop back to when you mentioned visual vision boards and, and calling them action boards. I absolutely love that because I am someone who's all about action. And just like you said, mm. it's not about, you know, wish for it, dream for it, close your eyes and just wait. And, you know, it's just going to fall into your lap because let's be honest, that is not, well, certainly not the world in the way that I've experienced it. And if you just, you know, write a list and a plan and a dream, that's great. I think you have to do that, but actually making those steps to making it actions, habits, behaviors, what, what, where should people start? If someone's listening and thinking, okay, I've heard of vision boards before, maybe they've even back in the day, you know, cut out some pictures or, or change their screensaver, or they've written a list mm. of how much money they want to earn, where they want to live, you know, the kind of life they want to have, but they feel like it's so out of reach. They feel like it's just a dream almost, or like a, you know, a, a wish. How can they start to make those vision boards, action boards? Yeah, so I, I do think it's a work in progress because I've been doing it, I think, for 12 or 13 years now. And it you know, certainly started out smaller. When you practice visualization and manifestation as a way of life, I have to say, Adrian, that sometimes incredible things do just seem to fall out of the sky. But that's on the back of 12 years of mm. creating these boards and making the things on them happen. So, you know, when I first started out, I was actually um, working with a friend who was a coach on on my um, action board. And she said to me, how much money do you want to earn next year? This was the first year of, of setting up my business. And so I named the amount that I needed to, you know, to pay the bills and, you know, sort of, have, you know, not worry about money, basically. And she said, oh, I think you should put double that on your vision board. And I thought that that was ridiculous and unachievable, but I thought, you know, why not put a bigger goal up there Then maybe I'll earn more than what I, you know, more than 50% of it. Mm. In a year, I had earned the number that I put on that board. And for the first three years of my business, I doubled the number each year and and that actually came true. Mm. But you can imagine like going from being an NHS doctor to starting up an executive coaching business how much networking and hard work I had to do to make that happen. So, Mm. you know, it certainly didn't fall out out of the sky, but there was definitely a motivation from from seeing that number Mm. um, and knowing that I'd achieved it once and and that I could do it again. Later, I just put imagery that represented abundance. So I guess that was the turning point where my board started to become more metaphorical than literal. Mm. So one year, for example, the year that I made my business a limited company, all I had was an image of a horse kicking up some water because to me, the horse represented loyalty and stability and like a team and the kicking up water was causing some sort of disruption. And that was the year that I started using heart rate variability technology and coaching, which, you know, hadn't really been done before. Mm. Um, I like sort of spotting, you know, trends in technology and trying to use them in my work. So what I would say to people is take some time to have an idea of what you really want. And it does have to be realistic, but it can be big picture. So, you know, it can't just be like a super yacht and a private jet, but it can be, you know, a nicer home or a partner or a pregnancy or starting up your own business or travel. Um, You can even do it in sections like that. Look out for images that appeal to you that represent these sorts of things. And then set aside some time to actually go through magazines and just find images or perhaps a few quotes, although I don't like too much writing on them, 
that just really speak to you, but don't necessarily relate to something that you know that you want. Because we mustn't be limited by only what we know. We have to be open to a bit a bit of magic as well. So I also leave space on my board because, well, practically I don't want my life to be cluttered and too busy. But also I leave I leave you know space for that magic to happen for something that I couldn't have um, imagined to perhaps mm. come into my life. So then you would place the images on your piece of paper or cardboard or pinboard, whatever, and. Even if there were things on there that you definitely thought you wanted, if the imagery feels wrong, you have to remove it. Um, if, Like I said, if there are images that you just like, but you don't know why, but they feel right, then keep them on there. I always leave it overnight or for a weekend in a sort of pet-proof, child-proof, wind-proof area. And, you know, maybe move them around a bit and just see what should be connected to other images and what needs to be kind of on its own. And then really challenge yourself is everything I want on this board? Is mm. there anything that's not on there that, that should be on there? Is there something on there that actually I feel like shouldn't be on there? So get it right and then glue it down. Um, keep it somewhere really visible so that you see it at least twice a day. So bedrooms are a really good place. Um, and there's a special sort of subliminal effect of what you see last thing at night. So, you know, that's another doubly good reason to have it there. But you know, when I lived on my own in my flat, I used to have it up on the wall in my bathroom. And so if anybody came to visit me and went to the loo, they they would see it. So, you know, I sort of wasn't ashamed of anything that was on mm. it. I even when it had like the number of how much money I wanted to earn and stuff. And I do think that that holds you a bit accountable as well, because people know what you're working on and, and they can mm. help you or ask you like, you know, how's it going? These days you can do the board digitally on Pinterest or Corkulus and keep it as your screensaver, like you mentioned. And so it's having, it's creating the board in the first place, um, which equates, you know, to some level of feeling that you deserve it, which is really important. Mm. Um, Looking at it regularly and visualizing the things on it becoming true. Those are the sort of three really important steps. Yes. Oh, wow. So many things then you were saying. The first one I want to pin back to was when you said realistic. So I really challenge, you know, what people believe to be possible for themselves and for their lives determines essentially what realistic even means. And, you know, if you said, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, I want to be uh, an Olympic gold medalist in the marathon, or I want to be an astronaut and someone says to you, oh, it's not realistic, then yeah, potentially there's, there's a real you know, fact as to why it's not. But often, but when you said about doubling your income, I knew Mm. before you continued to tell us that you then... uh, earn that money I knew that that would be the case I because maybe maybe it's my mindset maybe it's because I've developed a growth mindset maybe it's mm-hmm. it's because I yeah I don't limit my ambition and I always say to people when I you know at one point in in my book I say what if your biggest goal is 10 times too small and you know when your friend mm. said to you the coach said to you double it you then because the number was bigger and as you said you kind of went oh maybe I'll maybe I'll earn 50% more or or I think that's what I really encourage people to do is they limit their own belief of what they think is possible with this word realistic you know oh I'd love to do that Adrienne but oh I can't Mm. because I've got kids or oh I can't do that because of x y and z and oh I could never and they kind of give me a long list of reasons that they must limit their ambition 
And when I challenge people to say double this, you know, that was actually, it's funny. I felt like I could have been that coach because I am literally all my Mm. friends. I'm like, double it. It's what you deserve. Double that. (laughs) It's what you deserve. And we say, we laugh about it, but we mean it. You know, it's like, whether it's it's the size of the glass of wine or it's the size of your invoice, (laughs) double it. It is what you deserve. So I really feel like if people could understand that the first thing is actually, yeah, accepting that this is possible for you. This is realistic. This is something that even if it feels, you know, like a huge leap from where you are today, it is possible. And really understanding that so that when you look at that board, so that when you put those pictures or those words, if you don't believe, do you know what I mean? What's the, what's the, you know, mention about neuroscience, what's the science that's actually happening there that me- that makes it so that when you see something like that, uh, in a previous episode, I interviewed Tom Daly and he actually, whether he knew it was visualization, whether he knew it was an action board or not, he said that he had a book, like a diary, and he, he drew on a picture of the, the Olympic mm. medal that he wanted for 2012. And he'd put 2012, the Olympic rings, the medal. And he'd been looking at that since he was 13 years old. So mm. when he got up on the diving board, you know, to do, to do that, that dive to, to win that medal, he had that image in the front of his mind. And I think that was such a powerful, you know, these visuals are so powerful. So yeah, what is the, real science there that's making those those dreams a reality so first of all that tom daly story i do know it but it, i literally got goosebumps when you said it again um and secondly everyone needs a best friend like you um <laughs> <laughs> so i you know what really came to my mind as you were speaking about your friends and people that you you know you encourage in that way is that That Marianne Williamson quote, which says, your greatest fear isn't that you'll fail, your greatest fear is that you'll succeed beyond your wildest imagination. Mm -hmm. And sadly, there's this negative gearing in the brain that's a protective mechanism through evolution that works to bring up negative memories to stop us from taking risks. So basically, when you, let's say you're going to take a risk after a painful breakup of dating again, Your brain, the amygdala, where the emotions come from, and the hippocampus, where memories are embedded, they get together and say, let's remind Adrienne of every bad date she's ever had. Let's remind Adrienne of every painful breakup she's ever had. Because if she goes out there and does this again, she can have her heart broken, and and we want to protect her from that. But the thing is, if you listen to that voice, you'd never do anything. Hmm. So that mechanism protected us from physical predators when we were in the cave. In the modern world, that mechanism, to some extent, we, do, you know, we still need it. But in things like our life, our health, our relationships, our wealth, we need to be able to override that natural default mechanism. And, you know, you, you, you mentioned the word abundance and your, the embodiment of abundance. But that's what we need to cultivate in our brains, that, you know, I do deserve this. I, I could make that happen. Um, and I just want to come back and qualify what you were saying about realistic. I think there's two sides to the coin there. And it's in the word, it's really in the word real, which is where in the book I've written about magnetic desire is a really strong emotion and motivation to achieve these things. Hmm. And that's why it can't be what she's got or the house he lives in or, you know, what everybody thinks they should have. It must be from your brain, your heart and your gut, what you want for your life. Mm, yeah exactly the individual yourself and not in a selfish way but I think that actually brings me on to 
to my next big meaty question and topic, which I want to discuss with you, Tara. And this is so timely because this is something that I have been challenging myself to really think deeply about for the last few weeks. And I haven't really got to a conclusion. So I'm hoping you can help me. And, you know, you mentioned then about relationships, about career, around health and around the individual. So not looking left and right and looking at other people, but focusing on yourself. Now, apparently we are more than ever as a as a culture as a society we are dissatisfied so we are apparently in a pandemic of dissatisfaction and this idea that because we can see what other people are doing what other people have whether that's through social media whether it's through just general media and television we can see other people's bodies other people's lives other people's homes other people's cars other people's children other people's qualifications whatever but so as a result we are feeling more dissatisfied than ever and unhappier than ever and so we have this, this desire to change and to make things better and to consume and to be the, you know, the victim of capitalism and to say, OK, get a better upgrade your phone and upgrade your life and get a better, bigger house and a better car and travel more and have a better career and a better husband and just more, 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 more. Now, the reason I'm challenging myself on this is because I feel that I am, you know, abundantly grateful for what I currently have, whether that's the home that I live in, you know, my son, my my body and my ability to run and train for marathons. I feel like I am abundantly grateful. But at the same time, it's not mutually exclusive of this idea that I am the ultimate self-improver and I want to improve. And I am obsessed with, you know, uh, I read self-development books. I want to understand behavior and high performance. I continuously challenge myself, whether it is to train for an endurance event or to do another course or read another book. This idea that human potential, like, can I make it 1% better, 1% better, 1% better? So as a result, can you understand why I'm stuck between the two of thinking, well, am I just a, yeah, doing that as well? This result of like, Adrienne, make yourself better, learn more, acquire more skills, do more, do more. Is that dissatisfaction? Because on the other side, I'm thinking this is the best time ever to be to be alive, to be a, to be a woman. You know, when people talk about being dissatisfied with their careers or their lives or their relationships, I think as a woman of color, if I was to go back 100 years, 200 years, even 50 mm-hmm. years, I'm like mm-hmm. that. This is better than ever. You know, in terms of uh, access, in terms of equality. I know it's not it's not perfect. I'm not gonna. You know, it's not perfect, but you know, go back to when there was world wars. Go back to when there was famine and plague and yeah, so you can imagine this is a, it's a big topic, but what I would love to know from you, Tara, is yeah, why do you what do you think is going on here when it comes to dissatisfaction and our expectation of our lives? Wow, <laughs> that's a really really big topic and a great topic. You know, I think it's it's disheartening to hear that we're more dissatisfied than ever. That definitely should not be the case, and. Let's actually put aside all of the external influences that you mentioned, because there's a few things here. So one is being grounded in yourself so that you're less subject to volatile outside influences. And one is having a strong sense of purpose. And, you know, what sits really, really comfortably with listening to you and, you know, looking at you um, is how much you live and breathe what is clearly your purpose. Hmm. And, you know, you've got, um, I would say, self-improvement and learning and the edge and performance are your sort of key words around your purpose. Um, for me, neuroplasticity is the word. And, um, you know, I'm so grateful that I was brought up bilingual and I learned another language at school and another language as an adult. Um, 
And, you know, I did play a musical instrument, but I'm actually currently learning a different one. So each year I take on a new learning because that's my version of self-improvement is, you know, sort of growing the flexibility of my brain. And so I think that when you have a strong sense of purpose, you that that's very motivating. That keeps you going even through difficult times and doesn't completely take away any thoughts of envy or comparison, but it, it makes it easier to re-anchor yourself if, if that ever happens. Hmm. There's an interesting exercise in the book that um, you might remember, which is about alongside gratitude lists that you also do a list of accomplishments or achievements or things you're proud of. Because I think that that people like us and people in general, they set these big goals you know, we're very lucky, we usually achieve them. And then we move on to the next thing. And we don't take enough time to savour the things that we've achieved. And that, I think, builds up to this level of dissatisfaction. Um, You know, I have a a friend who's a tenured professor at probably the best university in the world. And in her sort of, um, you know, group of people on a personal development journey, she said, I just want to have a voice and be heard. And everyone was like, you're a professor at the best university in the world. Like you get heard, girl. Um, and she just, you know, she just needed to acknowledge that. And I think that sometimes we live with these insecurities and inadequacies that we've had since we were children. Um, and one of the questions that I ask people is, what are you still fighting for that you actually don't need to fight for anymore? Mm. And I think, you know, just sitting down and writing this list of achievements and accomplishments is just as beneficial as writing a gratitude list. With gratitude lists, I also learned over time because, you know, it gets a bit boring when you do it every day and you just say, my friends, my family, my health, my ability to travel. So you start thinking, okay, what else could I put on it? And what really um, made a big difference for me was starting to go more towards internal resources. So saying things like my determination, my vulnerability, my creativity, my resilience, because once you start priming your brain with words like that, then you think, okay, if something goes wrong in my life, or if I look at somebody else and think, you know, I'd like to have what they have, I can come back to this internal toolkit and find the way to create that reality in my life. And that's very, very empowering. It's completely different from gratitude being around external things. And, you know, so I think there's a theme here, which is, you know, external influences, and then your, your core, your purpose, um, mm. your sense of yourself. Yeah, and actually, that's potentially what was missing from my thinking on this was because is the the purpose. Because you're right, I certainly know exactly why I do what I do, and that's what ties everything together. Every decision that I make, you know, it's all I know exactly, as you said, to to encourage and to to help people to become high performing or to optimize their lives and to to improve. So it makes sense that that's what I'm interested in. It makes sense that mm. I continue to do that myself because how could I encourage others if I can't do it myself? Mm. But I think that sense of purpose is potentially what was missing because I think that often yeah I just think they can be pitched as quite binary things of either you're dissatisfied so therefore you want to change your life and self-improve or you're abundantly grateful and you're happy and then you just live every day smiling because you're grateful I think there's you know there's definitely got to be a halfway house and when you said about those empowering words about like being grateful for your determination or your resilience that's actually something that as a mother of a a nine-year-old son 
Mm. That's something that I'm really trying to to do with him, actually, especially in the last year in the pandemic. You know, it's been really challenging for children, for young people mm. to not I mean, it's been challenging for us as adults. So you can imagine, you know, for them to understand the emotions that they're feeling, you know, feeling frustrated, feeling angry, feeling mm. potentially afraid, you know, feeling all these different things. And I, that's one thing I've been trying to do with him is that I know is so powerful is to really talk to him about these these strong words and, and about gratitude but also in a way that he can understand um mm-hmm. you know the things that, that that he has that he can say that he can do whether he writes it down or you know he has a few I, I guess they are positive affirmations actually mm. um in his bedroom by his desk and I don't know I think when you're you know I keep, when people talk about if your if your parents were really I don't know pushy in one direction you kind of go the mm. other way so if they were mm-hmm. super I don't know strict with finances then you might be really reckless I'm kind of I'm kind of interested to see how this goes because I feel like having these like empowering words like on your wall when you're nine years old I'm wondering if he's just gonna <laughs> go um he kind of I feel like he rolls his eyes and goes yes mom I know I'm able I'm capable I'm strong I'm smart and he's probably just thinking yeah whatever but hopefully when he's older that will um have have yeah sunk in a little bit oh that really that actually brought tears to my eyes I mean what a lucky boy I I agree with you this last year has been so awful for children and but you know regardless of of what's going on at the moment and in the last year this stuff should be taught in schools these are the Mm. skills that actually get people through life um you know I just think I think the schooling system needs a real overhaul um, and, you know, with the mindset and the resilience piece as a, as a very, very top priority in that and mindfulness. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I had another thought about the dissatisfaction question because it's such a big topic, Mm. which is that that negative gearing of the brain that I mentioned earlier, because of that, we tend to notice what we don't have rather than what we have. Mm. And so I've been doing in the last year um, using neuroplasticity to actually work on happiness. And what I've noticed that I do now is that I am much more consciously note when I'm happy or something really good has happened. Whereas before that sort of got taken for granted and there'd be a much bigger focus on something that, you know, wasn't working out or, um, you know, a sad moment or something like that. So I'm not saying that I don't have those, but I would say that I've equalized them a lot more. So I notice when good things happen and I actually stop and say to myself, oh, I'm really happy, you know, Um, and I'll share it more with my husband, for example, and say like, can you believe this just happened? And, you know, we'll sort of have a a laugh about it, especially when it's kind of manifestation things. And, you know, one day I said, oh, I'd really like to be on Adrienne's podcast. And then the next day, Rupee says, I'm going to introduce you to Adrienne. I mean, things like that have actually happened. 
Yeah, um, no, I can, I can, I'm smiling because the same thing happens to me. And it's interesting when you said earlier in the interview, you know, sometimes things do feel like they drop out of the sky. And I certainly, as I said, it's not about wishing for it, but I have those moments too, where I'm like, I want to, I, I want to work with this person. I don't know how, I don't know when, or I want to, you know, I might think of a, a publication, you know, whether it was back in the day, I might have taken Vogue or Forbes or, or L. And I don't, I don't write exactly what or how or what, or even when, but when it does, as you say, then you get that email or you get that call. You, you are sometimes just like you see you know it kind of gives yeah. you that boost of like <laughs> yes this is this is really powerful um and yeah looping back to the dissatisfaction again and thinking about what you don't have versus what you do really noting those happy moments do you think it's quite a British thing you know when people go like oh how's work going or oh how are you and people mm. I often feel like you, if you just list all the good things and you're like, this has really been great. And actually I just got this great job or I, you know, I did this amazing um, interview or, or I'm really happy that I've just finished writing my book or whatever the thing is. I feel like it's a quite a British thing. So you feel like you're being boastful or showing off. So then you, mm. you do, you, we do the opposite and we go, Oh, you know, everything's okay, but you know what? Oh, this yeah. is something, yeah, or I haven't, Oh, you know, I haven't worked out or I haven't a bit stressed out or my mum's a bit of a nightmare. And people want to list the bad things first, just so that they can kind of have this like mutual thing to moan about instead of, of saying you know what let me tell you all the great things that are happening right now in my life totally I think we you know the default is that we will connect more with people by saying what's not going well in our life um, and it really comes back to that quote which is that we're afraid to say how good things are because we think people might get jealous or they might not like us but you know what I found is that when I and it's not necessarily whether it's like a really good thing or a bad thing but you know, I've made a decision recently to wind up my corporate work and focus more on spirituality and philanthropy. And I had to have some quite tough conversations with very long-standing you know, clients and universities about this. And I was nervous about it. And what's been so lovely is how many people have said, you're like my idol, you're my role model. Mm. Like you just say what you want to do and what you don't want to do and you go and do it. And, but, you know, I'm still a human. So I, I was like nervous about it. But then getting that feedback from people... Um, I have to say, actually, a lot of them were Americans, so maybe I'm not really answering the question. But um, I know that if you said those things to me, like all these things are going great, that would inspire me. Um, Mm. But I think that comes back to the work, you know, that I've done to be grounded and and not suffer from dissatisfaction. And I, you know, but I also want to say that, you know, since since getting married again, I live in a really big house, but I'm not happier than I was when I lived in my tiny, tiny flat in Shepherd's Bush. I was still the same person. And Mm. so I think it comes back to external validation not being so important to you. Um, And actually, when I got married, my one of my best friends who I was at boarding school with when I was 16 and he was 17, I mean, those were the days where I didn't board, but I was a day girl, but I had a desk in his room. I mean, that would be illegal these days, for a boy and a girl to be sharing a room at boarding school. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have a very strong bond. He's like a brother to me. And he spoke at my wedding. He said all sorts of amazing things about me. And the last thing he said was, I've known her since she was 16 and she's exactly the same person that she's always been. And that was like the most meaningful thing to me. Mm. So I really feel just having this 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 discussion with you that that sense of self and purpose is so important and you know it feels like some people have it innately but if you don't then take that time to step back and create that for yourself um otherwise it's very easy to feel rudderless and then dissatisfied 
Yeah, absolutely. And to feel like if you, yeah, if regardless of, as you said, your environment changing, whether that's your home that you live in, whether it's the work that you do, the title of your job, you know, it doesn't yeah, define you and therefore it doesn't elevate you to suddenly you're bigger or better or or the opposite of, of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. This is, yeah, brilliant. And, and you actually, when you said then about, you know, you've done that work, um, for anyone listening, you know, you, I know you talk about self-reflection and some questions that you can ask yourself to, to kind of give you these prompts to reflect. And one of them that you that you wrote was, what are my values and am I being true to them? So if someone's listening and maybe they haven't done, they haven't been on that journey yet of real self-reflection and self-awareness, maybe they don't really, yeah, fully understand what they want, what their values are. Maybe they kind of feel like they're going through the motions, you know, like this is the job that I do. This is where I live. This is who I am. And, and it's just who I am. How can people start to, yeah, self-reflect and to bring awareness to who they really, really are? That's such a lovely question. Thank you. So I think the first answer to that is time. Um, you know, we are always so busy. This is another thing. If you say like, how are you? How's work? It's always like, oh my God, I'm so busy. Like that's a really good thing. Um, you know, we're so busy doing that we don't spend any time just being. So taking that time to step back and ask yourself, you know, the question that I posed at the beginning of the book was, is your life panning out exactly how you always hoped it would? If not, read on, you know, and the next step is um, identifying those values and purpose. And I find the easiest way to identify your strongest value is what is a quality that you dislike most in other people? And the opposite of that is, is probably your top value. Um, Mm. there's all sorts of ways of playing around with it and reflecting like three words to describe yourself. Also, you know, being curious and exploring, and that could be anything from Jungian psychology to astrology or, um, you know, doing a personal development course or something to just get to know yourself better and understand what really motivates you and demotivates you. Mm. Um, yeah, and then just notice it once you've sort of started to articulate that, just noticing in life what triggers you, what makes you, you know, really smile. Um, and then I think you get a stronger sense of what your values are. Yeah, exactly. What makes you smile? What gives you more energy? I say some people sometimes, mm. what gives you more energy than it takes? What's the thing? You know, because we know when we ask someone a question, don't we, whether it's about a specific topic, we know that when you're passionate about something and I think this passion and purpose are are separate but when you're passionate about something I really think it evokes actually you know a reaction and that can be good or bad so it can be like you get really irate people get really angry they get really frustrated they're like oh this 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 it's like wow they're really passionate about that or vice versa they're like oh you know what yeah and they tell you more and tell you more and they can talk all day about this topic that you might not even be that interested in but they are passionate about it and so I think sometimes it's that it's like what's the thing that where it lights you up and you can talk about it and you want to tell people about it because maybe just yeah starting there and thinking maybe that's what you then build your yourself and your values around so let's talk a little bit about the power hour as it is the power hour podcast i know you know the concept of the power hour and anyone listening to the podcast for even new listeners old listeners they know all about me and my power hour so tara what is the first hour of your day like and actually what what time does your day start (laughs) I'm like, I'm so embarrassed to answer this question. Hey, there's no judgment on this podcast. There's no right or wrong. I just want to say that about 
12 or 13 years ago when I was starting up my business, um, I met I met someone, you know, through, through networking, but who became a friend. Um, he said to me, name one person that you know who's super successful that wakes up at eight o'clock. And 10 years later, I said to him, do you remember when you said that to me? And he went, yeah, it's you. Yes. Um, <laughs> so basically, even when I did my PhD, which is very, very self-motivated, I did it. I worked from my hours were 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. because I just naturally wake up at eight. I mean, when I was at school and university, obviously at school, I had to wake up earlier, but I hated it. At university, I actually was a cox for the rowing team. So, you know, I did get up at ungodly hours in the middle of winter and stuff and, and go and do that. So, like you said, when there's a passion, you can do it. But I've structured my life so that I can wake up at eight o'clock. Um, in the last year with the pandemic, I haven't used an alarm clock once. I've just woken up naturally. And my husband wakes up at 5.15. So there's like three hours of the day that we're not even like awake and conscious at the same time. Yeah. Um, and what he started doing now in the pandemic, which is just so cute because he used to only be at weekends, is that he comes back to bed for a cuddle around 8, 8.15. So that's how I know what the time is. And <laughs> One day when he was really busy and didn't come up for a cuddle, I was like, how am I supposed to know that it's time to wake up if you don't? Um, so basically, I I sort of naturally become conscious around 7, 7.15 and I stay in bed till 8, 8.15. And I reflect just on nothing specific and definitely not about work. I just let my mind wander. It might be about a friend of mine that I've spoken to recently. It might be about no literally just you know it's called voluntary mind wandering which is very different to daydreaming so it's a you know it's a good old reflect and check in with myself and sometimes I'll be lying in bed and smiling or um and then I do a body scan I put my left hand on my belly and my right hand on my heart and do some deep breathing um at times and if I'm getting coaching and I'm working on a particular exercise, then I'll do that exercise in bed. Um, I'll do some form of meditation, either Vedic meditation, or um, I would count that coaching reflect reflection as a form of meditation. Um, and then I also do some stretches in bed. And by the time I've done, oh, and I drink my glass of water straight away. By the time I've done those things, usually my my husband's appeared at the door. So that's well, my, <laughs> my power hour is more of a Zen hour. <laughs> sounds delicious, especially the husband part. I was just thinking though, you know, <laughs> for some people listening who during the pandemic, because I've had a lot of questions, as I'm sure you have around, you know, feelings of overwhelm, feelings of stress, anxiety. And a lot of people saying to me, actually, it's really helped them to, yeah, have a structure in the morning that is a three-step structure or that when they wake up, you know, they open the curtains and they get out of bed straight away, make the bed, don't get back into the bed. And if someone's listening to that and thinking, oh, that sounds great, but actually if I lay in bed awake, um, if maybe they start to have uh, you know, spiral of catastrophizing thoughts and they start to overthink mm -hmm. and, oh, what about all the worries of the day and all the worries of their life? They kind of lay there mm. and, you know, how do you keep that, how do you keep that positive and how do you, yeah, check and not allow the mind to wander onto all the negative things that are happening in the world? Mm -hmm. um, well, I mean, the way that this came about and, like, you know, God only knows if I'll be able to keep doing this once we go back to normal. But um, the way it came about is that I felt so much pressure to do everything first thing in the morning. You know, when I was trying to get my regular meditation practice or my regular exercise practice, 
people's advice is always do it first thing in the morning, get it done first thing in the morning. And I was like, how many things am I supposed to do first thing in the morning? <laughs> um, and I have, you know, I have more time for myself in the morning because I work on the US time zone. So, right. you know, having said that I wake up at that time, I do work till till later. Um, I really get what you're saying. But, you know, when I wake up and I, I look at the clock and I see that it's, you know, about seven-ish and I have that hour. I just, the first thing I do is smile because I'm like, I can stay in bed for an hour. It's so nice. And um, I think all of my regular journaling, meditation, gratitude practice that I've done in the past, which now is just more like a a sort of non-conscious way of living rather than actual practices. Hmm. I think they've helped me to to not go down that negative road. Um, To me, that hour is like a treat. It's like, my favorite hour, like, you know, as a teenager, I always loved just waking up and staying in bed. So I guess it works for me. But I think that if it doesn't work for other people, then having a positive affirmation, that's the opposite of the statement that, you know, the the negative thought, Mm -hmm. I found that really useful in the past. So Buddhism says, replace negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And neuroplasticity says that if you um, overwrite negative thinking with a positive statement, then eventually that becomes more natural for you. And, you know, I'm not saying something like, you know, I feel like I have no control over my life, say I have complete control over my life. I'm talking about something that helps you to manage that anxiety. So it could be something like um, we're in unprecedented times. Nobody feels that level of control over their life at the moment, but I will get it back. So it's, it's something like that. And it's, it's that self-talk. Um, and, you know, there's another term that I, that I love, which is metacognition, which is thinking about your thinking. So, you know, if that, you know, on, on occasion, that obviously could happen to me, I could wake up and have a negative thought. I would lie there and think, this is interesting. All right, Tara, why are you thinking about this? Like, what's going on in your life? And I literally have a conversation with myself, but it's... Yeah. It's focused on awareness of what I'm thinking rather than getting dragged down the, you know, the slippery slope of that thought. Yeah, absolutely. And to be honest, Tara, so many people, (laughs) I'm sure lots of people listening to this are going to be really happy and they're going to probably reach out (laughs) and be like, yes, because obviously some people come on the show and they're like, yes, I get up at five. I do this. I do that, (laughs) you know, before the kid. And and as I say, you know, that is my truth. That is how I do you know, that's how I carve Mm. out time in my morning, which is free from distraction because I'm so easily distracted as well. I need that time before other people are awake (laughs) so that I can actually be in solitude. But I know that some people, yeah, previous guests have come on and said, I wake up at this time or I have a slow start or I do this or I do that. So I'm sure lots of people will be listening and thinking, great, it's the power hour is you know, so it's not a one size fits all and it's also you know it's theirs for you. It's it's there for people to take and say actually how can you make this work best for you? Because essentially what you're saying then is the same principle. You have that hour to do what you want to do without you know, having to give your time, your attention, your focus, your energy to anybody else. You're giving to yourself mm-hmm. first. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's what I hope people will take is give to yourself in whatever way that is, that is. Do you know what? I just remembered something hilarious. It was about six or seven years ago, one of the main newspapers asked me to contribute to a, a feature that was about... Um, the early morning habits of successful people. And I totally said to my friends, like, they're not, they're not asking me because I'm a successful person. They're asking me as a neuroscientist to comment on the people that they'll feature. 
And then the feature came out and, and I was one of the people and I was literally the only one that woke up at eight o'clock and, and it was like Richard Branson and everyone else saying, I wake up at five and I go for a run. And I was like, oh my God, this is so funny. Oh, there you go. You see, as you said, as your friend said, name one person, Tara Swart. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Take it. Brilliant. Okay, Tara, thank you so much. I've absolutely loved this episode. So before I... Uh, power through my quick fire round can you tell the listeners of the show where they can find more of your work where they can find the book and where they could reach out to you yes thank you so I'm most interactive on Instagram at Dr Tara Swart but I'm also on Twitter um, my book The Source Open Your Mind Change Your Life um, is available well currently it's pretty much got to be Amazon but obviously it's in bookshops as well it's actually available in 36 languages so um, wow. wherever you are in the- <laughs> I know that was that was another vision board story at, at the offices of Penguin Random House. Um, yeah, that was incredible. And for me, it just feels like I've been able to speak to so many people. And that's really, you know, that was a huge motivation behind the book to reach more people. And so thank you so much, Adrian, because being on your podcast will really, you know, make that happen for me as well. So I'm super grateful. You're so welcome. So let's dive into the quick fire round. And I'm going to try to keep it quick because I am long winded. So first one is, can you tell us one item that you have purchased for £100 or less that brings you joy? My mini food processor. Brilliant. Love that. I um, love it. <laughs> one, one book that you recommend that everybody should read? The Untethered Soul. One piece of advice for anyone who has listened to this podcast who wants to take the first step to accessing the abundant power of their own mind. I would say make an action board. And my final quickfire question is, if you had one extra hour each day, so there's no longer 24 hours, there's now 25. I believe, you know, mm. time is finite and we, it's the most valuable thing we have. So if you had one extra hour each day, what would you use that hour to do? Reading. That's the thing that I always wish I had more time for. Well, that's why I said at the start about Audible, because Audible has changed my life. I listen yeah. to books now when I'm walking, when I'm reading, when I'm r- running, when I'm driving, when I'm cooking. If I'm standing in a queue, I've got AirPods in, I am listening to a book. So that's how I manage to <laughs> read more because I just listen. So yeah, I agree that that extra hour would be very well spent soaking in all these great books that are sitting around in my house that I want to read. Mm. Same. Thank you so much, Tara. Have a fantastic week. Thank you, everyone, for listening to the show. As always, we love to hear from you. So please do reach out. You can rate, review, all that good stuff and reach out to us on social. Have a great week and stay safe. Thank Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. 
Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.